Hello and welcome to episode 146 of NCP. I am your host, David, and I am joined by the esteemed NCP crew, Richard. Apparently, we're going to be doing this episode like one of those 60s talk television shows where we're all sitting around on couches wearing turtlenecks. I, for one, agree with this decision and shall try to use this voice. No, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) And look... I, for one, feel like we've been relocated to public broadcasting where we have to speak very, very softly because any form of histrionics would, in fact, upset the large number of elderly people listening in to this point in time. So we have to speak very softly and think and talk about nice subjects like potatoes and walnuts. What? <laughs> Cups of tea. Hey, Crystal. And coming up next on BBC Two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, Metamojo has become the popular show, and uh, yeah, we've been relegated to <laughs> second fiddle. We're on BBC Two. That's right. <laughs> Metamojo. All the, all the all the hip all the hip kids are, are, are watching and listening to Metamojo. And thanks for that, uh, Metamojo plug. That was awesome. Metamojo on YouTube. Check it out. Metamojo.com. It is what all the hip kids That's are watching. Right. <laughs> so if you want to be hip, stop listening to us. That's <laughs> it, we're not for you. <laughs> and I say that with as, with as much love as I possibly can. <laughs> so for this episode we have two dust jackets, as is our want for uh, for our... Our dust jacket episode. Dust jacket episodes. <laughs> Actually, we have dust jackets. <laughs> <laughs> our most popular segments. Uh, so for Dust Jacket uh, number one, we have Crystal and Luke doing Last Hero. Is it The Last Hero? The, the Last Hero. Hero. The Last Hero. By, uh, the is a very important word. Please, the, put uh, your article at the start of that sentence. Yes, <laughs> by, uh, as written by uh, the very missed Terry Pratchett. Uh, and uh, our second Dust Jacket will be Richo and myself doing I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, the man. And uh, our, our uh, second half of the show... Is a new segment. Crystal, tell the, tell the lovely folks out there in Radio Land about our new segment. This, uh, this new segment um, is inspired by a segment I, I hear on the uh, Skeptics Guide to the Universe podcast called Science or Fiction, but uh, we have changed it for our purposes to be fact or faux. Did we take this job to make a quick buck? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, we won't make any money whatsoever. <laughs> is the Loch Ness Monster really Jack the Ripper? Good yes. about making money. Yes, Don't forget our Amazon widget on the, on the main, main page of the website. You so, buy stuff. Cost you nothing extra. Fact or foe, basically what we do here, um, it may evolve over time, but at, the, at this point in time there's three facts that I will give the, the three boys. Um, they must choose which fact is the incorrect fact, and this week's facts will be all Star Trek related. So it's also similar to that Speaks and Specs segment. Mm. With the, um, but you've got to pick the wrong pick the, answer to the... Pick the right answer mm. out of all the wrong answers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was thinking musician or serial killer myself. Yeah, musician or serial killer, yeah. yeah. No, that's actually not that one. Yeah, no. there's been lots of no, variations. It's the one, it's the one where... It's the one where yeah, they, you get the three. You the, get the story, yeah. which story is right. Which yeah. story is... Uh, this, yeah. this, and this happened because... Yeah. yeah, I yeah. like it. So you're going to give us. So you're going to give us three facts, and one of them is actually wrong. Is actually faux. It's faux. The rest of fact. And the rest of fact. Yes. And we have to pick the ro- the faux. The one. The faux. Which one, one is our faux? Yes. Well, I'll give you a bit more detail later on in in the show. <laughs> Why did you? Did you intentionally rhyme just there? No. All right. Cool. <laughs> I was trying to do your show. Okay. Cool. Right. 
Cool. All right. Well, let's cross over to a roving reporter, Richard, who's <laughs> live on the scene for Dust Jackets. All right, I'm live at Discworld. <laughs> I'm on the turtle. <laughs> well, uh, look, n- normally we would start with, uh, you know, with the uh, Sci-Fi List's Top 100 uh, Dust Jacket review. But uh, Dave can be a hard taskmaster at times, and a couple of episodes ago I claimed that I should actually be the person uh, hosting the show. Right. And as punishment, he's basically decided, well, we're going to relegate you to second, much like we've been relegated you to Metamojo. <laughs> he's relegated uh, me to second fiddle, and uh, we're actually going to start with uh, Crystal and Luke doing uh, The Last Hero. But hang on, given that he's doing I Am Legend with you as well, hasn't he also relegated? Isn't he punishing himself by doing that? Look, he's willing to take he's willing to take that shot just to punish me. But when you're doing something as awesome as I Am Legend, even if it's with Richard, it's fine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> huh, see, this is what I have to deal with. <laughs> Where's the this, love? This aggression will not stand. <laughs> so, um, without any ado, really, <laughs> I'm uh, going to pass you all over to Crystal for the last hero. I want some ado. Right. Yeah, I, I deserve some ado. You don't deserve some anything. Ado or much ado. <laughs> much ado. About nothing. Look, could, could you could you insert some some sort of fanfare here yeah. during editing right. to um, herald the arrival of Crystal? I will indeed have a crowd reaction. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Okay, enough ado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our ado is kind of pathetic. That's why I kind of wanted to skip it. Gotcha. Yeah, so this week's uh, crew pick was me. With uh, So I chose uh, The Last Hero by Sir Terry Pratchett. Oh, sorry. I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> roll in his grave. Sir Terry Pratchett, um, illustrated by Paul Kidby. Uh, Paul Kidby has done a lot of the Discworld-related um, illustrations, covers, um, maps, etc. And he he took over from Josh Kirby, not to be confused with Josh Kirby, after Josh Kirby died in um, 2001. Um, so this book, it's every single page is illustrated. If, if you're into excellent artwork, look at this book just for the artwork, uh, as, as well as the words, the, you know, even if you don't like the story, you will love the pictures. <laughs> um, but 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 back to the story. Um, basically, uh, just give me a quick rundown of the plot. Uh, the story revolves around Cohen the Barbarian. <laughs> what? Who's not Jewish? So, yeah, who's not Jewish? No, yeah. but there's no. Yeah. Cohen uh, and his silver horde. Um, I think. I'm not sure why originally they were called the silver horde, but now that they're the older. Uh, Geriatric generation that fits. <laughs> um, Cohen as as um, silver hair maybe. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Co- Cohen uh, after a life of um, barbarianism <laughs> has <laughs> has risen to the post of emperor and uh, um, he was living up the high life with his silver horde. But they were quickly getting bored because there was nothing really to do. So they decided to go on one last mission to end it all, and this mission was to give the fire back to the gods. The gods live on top of. Uh, Corey Celeste? Yes. Uh, yeah, Corey Celeste, in the middle of the Discworld, sort of like the highest mountain. Um, so they're on this mission. And meanwhile, back in Ankh-Morpork, Lord Vetinari has gotten wind of this and realises quickly that if they do this, that will destroy the whole world. So he pr- puts together um, a, a group of volunteers to go and uh, stop them. 
the volunteers uh, consist of Leonard of Clerm, who is basically Leonard da Vinci, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci in the Discworld, <laughs> of the Discworld. Um, and uh, Rincewind, our favourite wizard, who does not wish to volunteer for this mission, really doesn't want to volunteer for this mission. But he does because that's just how his life goes. He knows <laughs> it's going to happen eventually, so he just preempts it. Accepts it as his fate that even though he doesn't want to volunteer for the mission, he feels he must because he yes. will volunteer for the mission at some point or be forcefully volunteered for the yes. mission. Yes, well, yeah, Lord Vitnari would have no qualms in forcefully volunteering him. <laughs> and Captain Carrot of the Watch. Now, I got annoyed because I read that there was a character called Captain Carrot in it. But, you know... <laughs> didn't dress up like Superman or eat irradiated carrots to give himself strength and didn't have, you know, talking a talking turtle who could run really fast or... <laughs> well, there have been talking turtles on the Discworld. <laughs> <laughs> Does the turtle that they live on actually talk? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Yeah. They ripped that, that, uh, that idea off for a walker. Really? Yeah, the island of Pandaria where all the pandas live. Is on I t- think t- not. Turtle. I think Discworld was around a lot longer. No, no, I said, no, I said, Walker ripped it off. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Blizzard, Paid homage to Blizzard blatantly ripped off. Paid homage to, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So this book uh, I found would, well, I mean, as I mentioned a few episodes back, the main reason I chose it for Luke is it's an excellent introduction into the Discworld. Um, if, if you, it's a quick read, and it gives you a good overall. Uh, version of, of what you're going to find in the rest of the Discworld novels, the, the, the style of writing, um, the characters. Terry Pratchett is a master at embedding satire into his works. He's a great observer of humanity and he can see, uh, we can see these observations of his mirrored in the Discworld. Um, now I had a quote marked out work to illustrate this point. In this scene, um, Lord Vetinari is sort of trying to set up a, a committee. So we've got heads of the guilds are pouring in and every single one of them wanted to be involved in the decision-making process without necessarily going through the intelligence-using process first. Now, I'm sure everybody can uh, think of an example of that sort of thing happening, especially in politics. And oh, yes. In local oh, government, yeah. yes. Uh, is that Rinswind? That is Rinswind, yes. Yeah. yes. I'm <laughs> I get the feeling that uh, Terry Pratchett can't really abide stupidity either, especially from those who refused to learn. So they're oh, happy, I, could, happy. I get the sense that he that he doesn't suffer full. He doesn't suffer full gladly. He doesn't like pe- people who are uh, happy with their stupidity and refuse to move beyond their boundaries. Anti-vaxxers. Um, yeah, probably, probably, but. Not like them at all. Um, now, if controversial ex- comment of the day. <laughs> an example of this, uh, where we first meet uh, Vina, who is um, basically an elderly Zena. <laughs> What's her name? Vina. 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 <laughs> we first meet her because uh, some some robbers come across her, and they think because she's elderly, sitting there and knitting, she'd be an easy mark. Intelligent robbers would have started to count up the incongruities here. These, however, were the other kind, the kind for whom evolution was invented. <laughs> very very biting wit um, and now this is not my most favourite Discworld novel but by very uh, yeah, I, I can't think of a, a bad Discworld novel so I'm not sure where I'd rank it in the Discworld novels not my favourite but with the um, combined with the illustrations that boost it to no end I, I, I think this is really well worth a look at Luke um, okay over to me then <laughs> without uh, any 
further ado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of like the ado. Um, okay. That's what I've heard. <laughs> Two reasons why I accepted this one. Um, Terry Pratchett had died, and given his... And I, I, I'm not a Terry Pratchett fan, I should point that out, but, you know, um, he is um, a, a heavily popular author in fantasy and science fiction and probably should have looked at and also too it was mercifully short I thought you'd like that um, after, yes. after the rained me did it, rained me did it. Um, <laughs> getting back to one of the points that you were before if you get one of the points about it being um, a good starting on point for people um, for, for new readers into the Discworld stuff mm. I kind of can agree with that but I kind of don't as well there were, just, there were points where particularly when you were dealing with the the Guild of the Wizards, mm. um, it felt like I actually did need to have read a couple of um, the early ones, say, for instance, yeah. The Color of Magic and, and um, Equal Rights. I could agree with that. Um, um, I, I would I would heavily um, suggest that you do start right from the start, mm. but if you were go- if you wanted to something a bit shorter to start with... Mm. Then, then yeah, it's... which is not, not, not knocking Terry Pratchett there. It, yeah. um, uh, if, you're new, if you're trying to discover the world of Ankh Morpok, this actually doesn't uh, do that because mm. a lot of the action is actually taken off out of Ankh Morpok. Yeah, on, that was never the intention the of rest, the book. The rest of Discworld. Um, if you're looking into this going, oh, well, as a way into Terry Pratchett, probably not the best example of certainly mm-hmm. of the Discworld levels. Go back and um, start off with The Colour of Magic, you know, which I do know. Like, and I, and I, you were given that option, Luke. I was given that option. No, <laughs> as in, I, I understand that, but it was in, just in terms of that comment. Yeah. Go back and read some of the early ones. Um, it sort of cemented for me my problems with Pratchett, you know, the strengths and I think the weaknesses. Mm. He is a very funny writer and he is very quick and he's very concise. Um, my favourite scene was the scene where Death is struggling with the uncertainty principle because he is a certainty. Mm. So we didn't see what the uncertainty was about what he perceived to be a certainty to be. Yep. The cat is not either dead or alive. If he thinks it's dead, it's dead. Yep. Um, and it's a very funny moment. And I also liked... First of all, I, I did like um, Conan the Septuagenarian, um, and I thought all the stuff with Cohen and the Silver Horde, and especially when um, Harry joins the team. And for those of you who don't know who Harry is, um, Cohen's greatest enemy. He's the most vilest, evil person in history. However, he's also gotten old as well, and um, is sort of feeling a bit of the, the pinch of not really having anyone worthy to fight or having anyone wanting to fight him anymore. So he joins up with the band in their attempts to, you know, bring the fire back to the gods. And they all do that. They'll let him come on knowing full well that he is going to betray them at some point because that's part of the story. And one of the, all this is, all of Cohen's story is actually about trying to have that one last great story to be told and they hire a minstrel as well, <laughs> who is sort of a bit... Um, I'm not sure hire is the word. Well, okay, Shanghai is probably more accurate. (laughs) Um, And in their attempts, you know, the whole idea being that he's going to tell their story. And he's extremely reluctant at first, um, particularly with some of the additions, uh, the thing, and the um, the editorial comments that um, Cohen keeps making towards him. But slowly as the story, their story um, develops, he actually gets quite into who they are and starts to see the possibilities for a great story to be told. Um, and I quite liked, I did quite like Cohen. Occasionally I thought that the, the because he doesn't use tags, as in, you know, he said, she said, um, and there's a lot of banter between the members of the Silver Horde, it occasionally just became a little confusing to tell who was stating what. And so you could, and you could kind of get lost in, you know, sort of pages of dialogue 
um, just trying to sort of keep track of who was saying what. Mm. Um, I can see what you're saying. I didn't get lost, but I think that's because I'm used to it. Yeah. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, there are some, you know, those those characters are very funny and they mm. do come up with some very funny stuff. And I kind of liked the fact that, you know, they, they'd go away for a bit, we'd cut to Rincewind and what the rest of the wizards are doing. And they'd come, we'd come back, and they'd have had just you know one massive fight with say a Cthulhu type monster, mm. but they'd be all complaining about the tentacles being in their hair and <laughs> things like that. Um, and I kind of like the theme of Cohen's story. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's one that's been done several times before, but it's still it's still quite resonant. I think mm. um, the whole idea of uh, the old being given one, the old, or the old the elderly being given one last chance to shine. Mm. Um, before their light fades, um, I think is quite um, is quite a strong thing, and he does do it quite well. My problems really actually stem more. F- I don't think he's as he's as great as plot at plot as he is probably with character and um, and humor. And I kind of felt like when you got when we we're dealing with the wizards, I was actually getting bored during those per- um, during those periods because there is a lot of first of all there is a lot of talk there is a lot of talking um, about trying to solve the problem. Um, but there are points where they, where Rincewind, Captain Carrot, and Leonard go off and do their own thing, and it almost mm. feels like it's its own separate story. It's like a further, further exploration of Discworld. One of the things, without spoiling it, one of the things that they do is they come up with effectively a, um, a steampunk um, spaceship, kind of, um, that's meant to get them quickly from where Ankh-Morpok is to the mountain so that they don't have to go through the miles and miles of terrain that, um, that the Silver Horde are going through. Um, but they go and they have you know experiences on the moon. They get chased by things as well, and occasionally just felt like it was distracting away from Cohen's mm. story. I, th- I think I can see what you're saying there. I think he actually is a master plotter, but that's more evident in the longer novels where he has time to bring uh, all his yeah. plot strings together at the end. Um, and it's and interesting it's, that you say you. Like, I should have. I would have guess that you prefer the Cohen storyline because I like the wizard storyline better. It's not the. It just kind of it, it felt like given that there was such importance placed on the wizards, mm. the 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 it, it sort of it did undercut the the actual drama of what was going on. Yeah, but I think having been a, a long term Discworld novel reader, I'm more invested in the wizard characters than I were wasn't it with Cohen. Mm. Mm. And that and that then that makes it like I'm coming to this you know fresh from yeah exactly. Um, and I did, and Rincewind, for instance, Rincewind probably is a much better character in the novels, whereas I kind mm. of felt him to be a bit of a bit distracting in this, and occasionally a bit annoying because he he actually does get played on one level here, mm. which is I really don't want to be here, and and he'd come up with some quip which would, would be vaguely amusing, mm. but then he'd get back into that I don't want to be here mentality, whereas he'd probably work better in the rest of the novels where he might be a bit more invested in what's going on. Yeah, see, by this point, if you've read the rest of the novels. Mm. He, you're very familiar with Rincewind mm. as a character, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like I said, it, this isn't. I didn't. Um, I did enjoy bits of it, um, and overall, you know, I wasn't um, infuriated or jumping up and down that I had to. As the way I've read some with some of the books that we've read. Um, but having said that, um, I didn't sit there going, "Oh my god, I've got to go back and now reread the rest of them." Mm. Um, based on this book, if I read one of the others, that that might do it. But this one wasn't enough to quite make me go back and explore Ankh-Morpok mm. uh, further. But having said that, you know it is concise. He does write. He does write very well. He's very funny. The illustrate Paul Kidby's illustrations are marvelous. Mm. Um, and I do like. I do like characters like Death. 
but yeah, probably yeah would have needed a little bit more than what was given in this one to make me go, wow, yep. go back and check out the others. From what you're saying, I think you would enjoy the others, um, but if you wanted to jump into it without necessarily re- going to the effort of reading a book, I could suggest watching A Colour of Magic. It's a mm. two-part film. I think it was a BBC production. Mm. Which I've, is seen, very good. I've seen the um, the animated series that they did Not with Weird one. Sisters and um, mm. was it Reaper Man they did yeah. back in the um, the back in the late nineties. Yeah. And I actually didn't mind. They're I, quite I, good. And I enjoyed. I did yeah. enjoy those. Really Reaper but Man I'd suggest the live action good. stuff mm. is, is, is quite good as well. The only other point I would make is that um, throughout most of well, probably all of Terry Pratchett's work is this underlying theory about narrative and i think it's even referred to on the disc world as a narrativium there's a mm. certain you certain have to the characters have to adhere to the, the narrative but he plays around with that and, uh, and a lot of like with the minstrel like having to do the story but you know you've got to do it this way because that's that's the that's the rules mm. um yeah there has to be uh you know the dark lord has to betray you that that's that's the way it is so mm. we're, we're not going to um not going to be upset about that because mm. that's just that's the lore of the narrative. Mm. So uh, that's an interesting thing that he plays around with quite a lot. And he does bring that strand together at the end. It is actually yeah. like the moment where they are confronted with uh, Captain Carrot. Yeah. And oh yes, and the, Captain Carrot. Yeah. Someone actually points out that hang on, you're seven guys with even though you're old, you're seven guys with magical swords versus just an ordinary guy with an ordinary sword. Yeah, one um, guy against seven. Well, you know, the odds have, he has to win, and then they, they, you know, so it's like something about him possibly being the heir to Ankh-Morpork, pork but not mm. acknowledging it. Well, mm. like, <laughs> he definitely win then. <laughs> um, on the whole, I'd give this one, because uh, um, com- this the story combined with the pictures, I'd give this one a four. Like I said, um, certainly, enjoyable in, certainly enjoyable in bits, but not quite enough to make me jump up and rave about it. I give it two and a half. Excellent. Well done, guys. Our next review... Richo's just woken up. <laughs> <laughs> what? Something's going on here? Why am I not still in bed at this time of day? Um, yes. No, thank you, guys. Um, okay, so now it's on to uh, myself and David with uh, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. So I Am Legend uh, was written in 1954, as I said, by Richard Matheson. Now, anybody that's... Uh, listened to the show, knows that we, we love Matheson. Matheson is the man. I knew Richard. The, and I'm sure, as many of our listeners will know, uh, the novel has actually been adapted into three movies. Uh, originally as The Last Man on Earth in 1964, starring Vincent Price. Yeah. As, as you'll remember from a couple of episodes ago, how much we love Vincent. Um, it's, not, it's not the greatest adaptation, let's be honest. No. Um, and then again in 1971 as the Omega Man with Charlton Heston, and most recently, and this is the version most people will probably be familiar with, um, in 2007 with um, Will Smith. So it's actually been adapted four times, because then you've got the Asylum ripoff of Bio Legend. Yeah, the, yes, the artificial, the I am Omega, <laughs> the artificial <laughs> knockoff by the Asylum, the people that make a habit of uh, doing they cheap, rushed the versions of these. Uh, awesome. Yeah, the, the less said about I Am Omega, the better, I think. The story uh, centres around Robert Neville, who is the last survivor of a pandemic that has wiped out humanity and turned most of us into vampires. Science vampires. Yeah, science <laughs> um, vampires. Yeah, yeah. In in that the the, pan, the all of the um, symptoms that the pandemic brings on 
uh, pretty much mimic um, vampirism. Um, and in that regard, this book is considered by many to be the first modern vampire novel. Yeah, it introduces the idea that vampirism is is created by a virus yeah. instead of some sort yeah. of supernatural way. Yeah, the, the suggestion in um, in the book is that it's somehow being caused due to a war mm. and to the sudden rise in the mosquito population, yes. which has then obviously spread the disease amongst humanity. Um, like mosquitoes. Neville is the only person that we that he's that he knows who is completely immune. Now he he locks himself up inside an apartment in Los Angeles. He goes out during the day, hunts vampires. It's weird. It's like he's he suffers bouts of depression and alcoholism and all kinds of things. Like he really his life is miserable, but he just can't bring himself to end his life. Like mm. he, he has this need to survive. At the same time, he is being constantly tormented at night by these vampires. That, his next-door neighbour. Yeah, he's led by his next-door neighbour, um, <laughs> who are basically trying to drive him mad. Yeah. They're trying to force him to, to either kill himself or to make that mistake which will enable them to get him and kill him. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the, to me, the really incredible part of this book is that sense of loneliness and isolationism that Neville is experiencing. Like, he is completely alone. And and he's doing anything he he can to sort of stave off insanity, stave off loneliness. Um, there's a wonderful section of the book where he finds a dog. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a sort of mangy mutt of a dog, but he's he does everything he can to try and keep this dog alive because it's just any any contact whatsoever. Yeah, you know, he, he just craves that that sense of contact with 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 anyone. Um, and that comes into play a little bit later in the novel when he comes across a woman called Ruth who also appears to be immune to the disease, but he gets a little bit paranoid and suspicious of her. And uh, we won't go into detail too much about that because there's a few sort of twists and turns in relation to that. Um, this book is number 90 on uh, the top 200 sci-fi, list, sci-fi books. Um, it's interesting. It's actually moved up quite substantially. When I first downloaded the list uh, three years ago, this book was only in the 150s, so it's, it's moving up the chart slowly but surely, which is awesome. Thanks to the, <laughs> thanks to the asylum. Yeah, thanks to the asylum. <laughs> um, but I also chose this book because, really, since we, we started doing Dust Jackets, I know Dave's been hanging out to do Iron Legend. It's, it's one that's come up a few times in our discussions. and uh, So I'm actually going to let Dave tell you why that is the case and, and, and give you his thoughts on the book. And then I'll, I'll sort of feed off that a bit and, and sort of add some comments here and there as well. Fair enough. Um, I am legend is one of the, one of the first batch of science fiction novels that I read. Um, after I got over my babysitters club phase, I, I went on to science fiction and, uh, it's, it was, I was drawn to it by its incredibly striking, um, cover, which is just absolutely brilliant. I thought it was sweet, belly high. <laughs> yeah, Sweet Valley High, Babysitter's Club. I, I read them all. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, the uh, the one with the twins got introduced. But uh, anyway, so yeah, the incredibly striking cover, which is part of the SF Masterworks its uh, collection, no, notably number two. I need to point that out. <laughs> number two in the SF Masterworks, um, and the cover is 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 magnificent. It's it's, uh, it's got a uh, a vampiric uh, skeleton type creature lunging at you, and I was like, well, I've got to read this. Um, and mercifully, uh, only 160 pages. So I was like, "All right, I'll get into it." And 
straight away I was just I was this is before I this this is my introduction to Richard Matheson. Um, actually, I mean, even though I've watched some Twilight Zone before this, I was I wasn't that much of a nerd that I didn't sort of get into it. Who wrote them and all this stuff? Which yeah. was just like, oh well, this is awesome, and so I watched them. Um, yeah, but uh, so as, as far as I'm aware, this is my introduction to Richard Matheson. And straight away I was just I was just taken with Robert uh, and his story and uh, and his and his he's so the the oppression. Uh, the, the the oppressive loneliness that, that he had and and um and I and it sort of and it struck me because I I, I realized that uh, up until that point in my life I'd never been I never really had an opportunity to be lonely like I was always surrounded by people and so it sort of got me thinking of just what would this what would the situation be this is this is my first uh my first ever last man genre type story um I've, I've been since become a huge fan of that sort of that sort of genre um but it's it is yes yeah, it's, it's it, and it is the, the sort of the pinnacle of that sort of that sort of style of story, and um, and yeah, it, 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 like I said, I was just I was just I've never really, I mean, even though everybody has a sort of a you know, it feels lonely every now and again, and you know, especially you know your, your teenage years, and you think, you think you're all alone and no one understands you and all that sort of rubbish. Um, I went through all that sort of thing, and, and but just just how well written a, a, a loneliness is. Yeah, it's just, it's, it just it's blows that, me away. It's that sense of not just loneliness, but overwhelming yeah. loneliness. That that he's lonely and he can't do anything about it because there is nobody There's, else left in do? this world and at all. And 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 the irony, the, 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 but the, the cruelty of the fact is he actually isn't alone. He's not alone at all. He's surrounded mm. by by the vampires, including the, his neighbor who he never liked anyway, and he's now <laughs> the leader of of the vampires. So mm. he actually is not alone. He could. He could succumb and become a vampire and go out and join the horde, yeah. but he never does because he's he's such as he's not the nicest man in the world. And no, he just no. stubbornly wants to cling to his humanity, I and mean, that's what makes makes him a hero in the end. I mean, he wants to he just and he has to he has to live on, yeah. you know. And he actually does he does actually try to seek a cure. Yeah, that's yeah. Eventually, um, after a while, it takes yeah. like a couple of a number of years of living this re- horrible existence. Yeah. He decides, well, I'm going to might as well do something. He's not a scientist, so he's no. like, so he, so he reads up on it and and uh, tries to actually find a cure and stuff. And you know, and yeah. like Richard said, I don't want to give anything away, but um, you, yeah, and that, that that sympathy for the character also comes through um, a series of uh, flashback sequences in the novel yeah. as well, where you find out. Um, that, that he was actually married. He had a, a daughter. Daughter, yeah. Um, and he actually he actually has to kill his wife. Yeah. When she becomes infected, and and that to me that was just such a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. <laughs> when you're seeing that, it's like, well, I, I really understand everything about this guy now that I've now that you get that little bit of backstory as well. Um, uh, the other, one of the other things that sort of the drew me to is that even though it's actually it's clearly vampires in the novel, um, it is a precursor to. The my favourite of all time genre, which is the end of the world zombie stories. Mm. Um, so it's, it's it is it's highly influential on um, Romero um, and mm. uh, is is not of the living dead sort of story. So even though right. so even though they are technically vampires, it is very much a zombie story as well. I actually have a quote here from Romero oh, really? in that regard, which I think is fantastic um, because he 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 fully acknowledges that that this book was a massive. Didn't he at one point say he ripped it off? Uh, yeah, the, the, the quote is, um, I had written a short story which I basically had ripped off from Richard Matheson's <laughs> novel called I Am Legend. Cool. Um, and obviously the, the Last Man on Earth movie as well. There's a lot of, lot of similarities there. So, But you, you can see the influence. And also an, a massive influence on people like Stephen King as well. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because the book wasn't that well received uh, when it was first published. Really? 
Yeah. It wasn't the instant classic that it deserves to be. Yeah. Um, people seem to think that it was had good ideas, but maybe its characterization was a bit weak, which I, I really don't understand at all. Now, I should point out, this is coming from people like Damon Knight, and I, I don't think Damon Knight ever liked a single book. Every review of his <laughs> I've read from the 1950s, he seems to be trashing pretty much He's everything. He's the Luke of his wrote. generation. Well, it truly is. He is the world's yep. harshest critic. You've also got to put it into some context as well. I mean, this is the, what, 54? So the middle of the, fi- middle of the 50s, and yeah. at this point when people are actually trying to rally around together um, in the face of, you know, communism, in the face of HUAC, a novel about a guy who's effectively on his own probably doesn't strike as resonant a chord yeah. immediately. Hmm. You, um, can, you can... Um, can't you say he's the lone of, of American surrounded by commies? Uh, no, you, you, that reading could, probably would have come in later yeah. at that point, given I, that it's um it's vampires. It's, hmm. no, we don't feel alone. We, we stick together. That would have been the... Yeah. I look at it, actually, um, and I, I have no evidence to back this up from Matheson himself or anything, but I actually looked at it as the opposite of that. Mm. Like, this book is very much representative of, say, the blacklisted writer, mm. the one who is suddenly isolated from everybody, you know, the, gotcha. the one accused of being the communist and who suddenly has no support from anybody. Right. You know, that, that same sort of psychology that gives us movies like High Noon. Gotcha. Um, so that I, I and and like I said, I have nothing to to back that up other than my own reading of the book. Um, but at the same time, it's it's playing off. Um, it's really pl- playing off very primal um, fears and anxieties, regardless of whether it's about that or not. You know, mm. it's a, that 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 fear of, of being completely alone and and having nobody to turn to. And um, yeah, I mean, to, to me, this is um, to me this is the most amazing book I've ever read about that. Mm. That that phenomenon, and and you know, there's a lot of books like that. The you know the the Robinson Crusoe type, you know, man trapped on an island by himself sort of approach. The Martian. Yeah, exactly right. Um, for me though, what what is truly terrifying and just horrific about this book is that, as 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 David said, he's not all alone. No. But he is like he's he's all alone, but his next door neighbour is there tormenting him every <laughs> night. So there, there are people all awesome. around him, you know. Um, yeah. And. Um, you know, the, the nature of his, his world has completely changed and he is completely helpless. Yeah. And it's that sense of helplessness that I think makes this such an incredible novel. Yeah. And we do. He does have a, a period where he, sort of, he gets a new lease on life and he's killing more vampires than he's ever killed. <laughs> that that is he, awesome. He's on a rampage. Yeah, when he, when he starts to actually work <laughs> out that there's um, the, 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 the certain, uh, I guess, psychological reactions uh, based on people's cultures and upbringings and things to this. So there's a, there's a bit where he realises that if you're Christian, then you're going to fear the cross because that's what vampires do in, in Christian, uh, yeah. you know, in, in Christianity. But, but if you say Jewish, then... You know, the cross is going to have no effect on you whatsoever. So there's this kind of psychosomatic so he's aspect. Around, he's carried around a star. Yeah, yeah. There's a psychosomatic aspect to to this disease as well, based on 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 the whole sort of mythology um, of vampires um, that people have built up over centuries. Yeah, and I thought I actually found that really quite quite fascinating. It's as interesting, well. isn't so, it? Yeah. Um, so they react the way they they expect to react. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so well, I mean, like Richard said, is that I, I love this book. It is one of my favourite science fiction stories ever. Um, it's it's not without its problems. Um, it's you know it's not perfect, but it's uh, I I don't care. <laughs> I, I love it for what it is, and mainly especially for that. Just I think it's the the perfect representation of 
a man alone. Yeah. Against the odds. Agreed. And, uh, and I just think it works that way. Um, it's in terms of the rating the book. I, I do want to mention the film. So, but uh, just, so rating, rating the book, it is it's it's four out of five for me. It is it is uh, great great stuff. Uh, we can't we can't have finished the review without mentioning the films at all. Um, last last bit on earth. It's you know it's it stars my man Vincent, but it's 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 not the greatest. No, um, I actually am not a fan of Amiga Man at all. I'll be honest with you. I, I love Charlton Heston and his manly manliness, <laughs> and uh, and I love the scenes where he's talking to the mannequin and and all that sort of stuff. But there's just something about that film that sort of irks me. And I guess I, don't know, I guess it's because it's a product of time, I suppose. I don't know, but I just I don't like how the vampires look. I just think they look ridiculous, you know, the, the giant afro things, and I don't know, it just looks really silly. So it doesn't it doesn't really do it for me all that much. Um, and Will Smith's Iron Legend. I'm a big fan of, of Will Smith, and I think the film does a lot of things right. But the one thing where it gets it just so majorly wrong <laughs> is is the, the the creatures themselves just look ridiculous. And he has the dog from the start. Yeah. So if he found the dog later on, you know, in terms of the book, then that would be a good. But he's actually not alone at all because yeah. he's got the dog. Um, and, and, and also, there's none of that um, that the vampire is actually tormenting. Yeah, there's no him, tormenting. Which is the thing yeah, that yeah, yeah. I, I, I love is that trying to drive him mad aspect. That's, of yeah, it. But, but, but of course, Will Smith, well, awesome, and, and the rest of it is, is quite cool. You know, there's a you know a common thread there, which is you like all the actors, but the films that they were in suck. <laughs> well, well, I don't think well, the 2007 I, I, one sucks per se. I just, I just, it could have been better. I mean, it's not I Robot level of crap, no. but it's, it's, it could have been better. But what, yeah, um, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, what, I, like, I like all the. Yeah, it's a common theme there. What I find interesting um, about the films, and this is probably lends itself to the universe of the book as well is that each one is very reflective of the time in which it was made so yeah, The Last so Man true. on Earth has that real you know HUAC communism thing that you see in a lot of movies of that period The Omega Man is really the, the way that they depict the vampires as a, a cult driving dune buddies is, is yeah it's basically a response to the Manson, Manson yeah, the killings Manson, and yeah. things like that and then yeah. of course um I Am Legend uh, really focuses on the you know biological warfare and that sort of aspect of it, and it's it's that very sort of post nine eleven kind of kind of mentality that was so prevalent in America um, at that point. It gotcha. really comes across. So, um, look, I I don't think any of the films, and I, I say this as somebody I, I love the Omega Man for what it is, <laughs> and as you say, Charlton Heston's manly manliness and. Um, and I, I love the science fiction films he did of that time, from you know, you know, Planet of the Apes, Omega Man, Silent Green. Yeah. Um, but none of them, I don't think any of them have really captured the the best aspects of the books. I think the Omega Man comes closest, but it's really for me the films. It's the first half of each film is usually the best half. Yeah, gotcha. Where they're actually dealing with the isolationism, yeah, and yeah. once they start introducing survivors in and things like that, it's like. Yeah, no, no, now now he's he's no longer alone. He's no longer isolated, and and you've got other survivors, and so therefore it's kind of losing the the point of what what appeals to me the most about the book. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but look, I, I I I must admit I love this book as well, and it was actually Dave, you were the one that gave me your copy to read, and I've since read the book two more times um, because you can read it in a day. Like it's, it's a fantastic <laughs> book in that regard. Um, yeah, I would give the book uh, four and a half. Um, I absolutely love it. As you say, it's not without its flaws, but it's, it's one that I think it's, its flaws are mostly overcome by just some incredible character work. On you, Richard. On you, Richard. You're the man. Endorsed by Dean awesome. Koontz, I see. Yeah, it's the most clever and riveting vampire novel since Dracula. 
Dinkus. Yeah, it, it has actually developed over the years uh, mm. a much greater following than it had when it first published, which is good. People yeah. came to their senses. Cool. So uh, up, upcoming on our um, 150th episode, what are our books for that episode, Richo? Uh, we'll be doing um, The Wind-Up Girl from the Top 200 list by... Paolo Bacicalupi. Thank you very much, Luke. You're so good at that. Um, and yeah, I, want, I wanted to do a, um, a more recent addition to the list, and um, the Wind Up Girl was actually a 2009 book, so... Cool. Yeah, we're, we're moving out of our classics and into, I guess, maybe modern classics, you might call it. Um, well, I won't we'll know until we'll, we've read it, we'll but find we'll find out. out. We'll find out. Um, well, and our next uh, crew pick is uh, myself, and uh, I'm, I've chosen... Starshine by Frederick Brown, uh, otherwise known as Angels and Spaceships. Steering away from the modern. <laughs> yep, steering away from the modern. Um, this is, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Frederick Brown fan. Uh, I, uh, I like him too. Much, much love his short stories. Uh, and this is a collection of his short stories. And uh, I actually, to get a copy, I've actually got a copy in my hand. It's a Bantam, Bantam book copy. It was 25 cents cover price. I actually had to buy it on eBay for 20 bucks. So that's, you know, that's, how, that's how desperate I was. So, it, so it's it's it was Starshine in England, and I think Angels and Spaceships in America, and so uh, yeah, it's really really exciting. So who's uh, who's doing which one? Can I do Starshine? Sure. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So Crystal and myself are doing Starshine, and uh, Richo and Luke will be doing Wind Up Girl. Girl. Awesome. Although, you know, as always, if I get time, I'd like to read both. But life intrudes. Yeah, I, well, I would have read Wonder Girl as well. But if, it, if it hadn't been my crew pick, I would have campaigned for Wonder Girl. Yeah. So that's our Dust Jackets done. Let's move on to our a brand new segment. Fact or foe? Doom, doom, doom. Take it away, Crystal. Okay, um... So we, pro- we explained the concept of this segment earlier on. Project. Uh, project. Um, so f- uh, we decided a while ago that the first one would be Star Trek related. Um, and as inspiration, I went back through Leonard Nimoy's tweets because I'd remembered that he'd often tweet a few factoids here and there. We miss you, Leonard. We do. And it's sort of like a set. As uh, inspiration and as a little tribute to Leonard Nimoy, I, I actually chose his, uh, instead of being inspired by his tweets, I specific tweets, I chose his specific tweets. Now what I was going to do is choose three and then I'd change one and you'd have to pick which was the wrong one. But it turns out I didn't have to. Because as much as we'd like him to be really Vulcan, <laughs> he actually is, uh, is human and, and as all humans experience memory does fail at times so he did get one of these slightly wrong Ooh. so i'll pass i'll pass these out i'll, I'll print them out so you can refer back to them when you ponder your answers and i'll read out the um the actual tweets now from the 4th of july 2014 he tweeted director of a mock time when i introduced I assume it's short for introduced the Vulcan greeting, was Mark Daniels, who directed I Love Lucy, LLAP, which stands for Live Long and Prosper. Second tweet. Did you know when I introduced the Spock neck pinch in the Enemy Within episode of Star Trek, director was Leo Penn, father of Sean, LLAP. And the final one. 
did you notice I snuck in an I quit smoking button in Star Trek 4? Awesome. So, so one of these is actually wrong? One of these is wrong. Well, I'm very much enjoying this because I'm a trivia buff and I've not, I was not aware of any of these. So this is actually pretty cool. Um, why do I have to go first? I decided we're going anti-clockwise. All right. So, what, so do you want to? So do you want to do it so that I sort of I suggest what I think mine is, and then Luke suggests his, and then we and then you reveal the. And then I reveal the. You reveal the yes, I will. Okay, cool. I will. I will give no clues away. In, in okay. Time. So you're saying one of these is actually technically incorrect. Yep. Is it all of it incorrect? So basically, so like the, so say for the first one, for example, right? Mark Daniels. Is it which part? Is it partially incorrect? Like he did, he did direct around my time, but he didn't direct I Love Lucy. I'll give you a bit of direction, but I can't answer any more questions af- yeah. after that because then it becomes yeah. unfair on everyone else. Okay. Um, there is an aspect of one of them that is. It's wrong. an aspect that's wrong. That okay, may cool. not, that the entire thing may not be wrong. Right. I got you. Okay. I like mm. that. It adds a, a little bit of a nerdy mm. complexity that I quite like. Mm. <laughs> Well, I like. I really like the the fact that he had the I quit smoking button in Star Trek Four. Right. So I'm going to say that's that's legit. Because that's something he would do. I, I, I didn't notice it, <laughs> but I, I, I'm saying that's possibly true. All right, I think the second one is partially not true. Because <laughs> I don't think he introduced the Spock neck pinch in Enemy Within. I think the director was Leo, who is the father of Sean. But I don't think he introduced the neck pinch in Enemy Within. I'm, so I'm, going, I'm going with number two. Luke. I'm actually going with number two, but for the opposite reason, as in I don't think Leo Penn direct. I don't actually remember Leo Penn directing that episode. I can't remember who off the top of my head. Awesome. I don't think it was Leo Penn. Um, okay, first thing I want to say is the fact that Leonard Nimoy signs off for his tweets with Live Long and Prosper just makes him even more awesome. <laughs> Every time I find out something new about Leonard Nimoy, it just makes him even more awesome than he was to begin with. Look, I, I'm I'm going to say number three is, is correct. Yes. It just seems like a cool thing that Leonard Dubois might do. Um, which leaves us with one and two. Um, I'm not going to question him knowing who the directors of these episodes are, because, once again, that would make sense. But I'm wondering if either a mock time... I'm, I'm, I'm leaning with either a mock time or The Enemy Within, as you said, where he, he actually didn't introduce it in those episodes, maybe introduced it in another episode. Either that or Mark Daniels didn't direct I Love Lucy, but... <laughs> How would I know? So, what do you so since you guys went with number two, I'm going to be different, and I'm going to go with uh, number one being in which aspect of incorrect. it? Incorrect. Introduce the greeting or Mark Daniels directed I Love Lucy. Uh, I'm going to say Mark, maybe Mark Daniels didn't direct I Love Lucy. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, since so, 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 so you want like a build up. <laughs> Since you all agree with number three, I'll, we'll start with number three. Okay. Number three, did you notice I stuck an I quit smoking button into Star Trek Four? Is correct. Yay! Right. The scene where you'll find that is the the awesome scene where Scotty goes to uh, the, the 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 factory to introduce the concept of uh, transparent aluminum. Yeah. And it's the the guy who they're talking to, the head of the factory, he's wearing the I quit smoking button. Oh, I thought. Oh, I feel gypped. I thought it was a scene with Spock in it. No, 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 but no. It's, it's see the reason well, that, that case, one worked too. Who cares? The reason that some... one worked too is that like that, that Star Trek Four is the movie where you could have that. Yeah. Oh well, like when he says I snuck it in because he directed it, so I yeah, guess it still makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. Cool. All right, I'll, I'll let it. Right. Okay. I, I can't say a bad thing about that. No. <laughs> so number two, did you know that when I introduced the Spock neck pitch in the Enemy Within, the episode of Star Trek, uh, director was Leo Penn, father of Sean. That is also true. 
All of it's true? All of it is true. Did yeah. Leo Penn definitely directed... I don't like Richard being right. Leo <laughs> Penn definitely is Sean's father. Yeah. He definitely yeah. directed that episode because I went to the Blu-rays and had a look. Right. And as far as I can tell through various sources on the internet, that is the episode where he introduced it and uh, Leonard Nimoy came up with the manoeuvre. Wow. Because he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And number one... Um, Richo is partially correct. Ooh, <laughs> um, like the director it. of Amok Time, where I introduced the Vulcan greeting, was Mark Daniels, who directed I Love Lucy. They did introduce the Vulcan greeting then, as far as I can tell through all the internet sources, and yes. Leonard Nimoy did invent it, and it's based on a, a Jewish... Um, Shekinah. Yep, exactly. Mark Daniels, however, was not the director. Ah. But did he direct I Love Lucy? uh, (laughs) That's the birdie question. He did direct I Love Lucy. Wow. But he was not the director. The director was Joseph Pinney. But an interesting Ah. other tidbit, the writer of that episode was Theodore Sturgeon. Yes, Yes, it was. Oh, right. Yeah. There you go. So there you go. Oh, I think that I think that's a success for the first uh, in, can, in. Well, I'm, I'm declaring myself the winner, so therefore, yes, it was a yes, success. I, I, I do the reason. I do think <laughs> Richo picked the right number, so Richo you picked the right number. Then, so that's yeah, right. We'll, that's yeah, right. we'll, we'll, yeah. So, yeah, you um, did get it right. So I have, we'll come up with some more of those. That was fun. So yeah, good. I'm glad you oh, all. That was good, and I'm glad I managed to pick facts that you were immediately familiar with. I was a bit worried that everyone would spot it all straight away. So can, we just, can we just start with yeah. it? I was going to do Doctor Who actually, but I thought that would be unfair on everybody except Richard because he would just know everything. Well, if it's classic Doctor Who, I'm cool. Then yeah, if yeah. it's new Who, then I don't care. And and I don't necessarily know everything about Doctor <laughs> Who. But um, I, I don't know. The next one is to be announced. I haven't figured it out yet. That's unfair on everyone else. <laughs> Who is always the winner of Star Wars Trivial Pursuit? That's right. Never lost a game. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that was, uh, that was awesome. Thank you very much. You're we'll do it. We shall do it again. And, uh, uh, thank you for right. the skeptics guy for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> we borrowed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, uh, anybody listening who uh, liked it and has any, any suggestions for future topics? Oh, that's the other thing I was going to say. If anybody disagrees with the facts, feel free to let me know, but please cite your source. Oh, okay. Nice. nice. <laughs> awesome. I think that's fair enough. Yes. <laughs> I disagree with the validity of the facts. Yes. I'm happy to happy to be proven wrong, especially yes. with the. Um, do you do you have actions. DNA testing <laughs> that proves that Leo Penn is actually not Sean Penn's father? <laughs> that would be something to reveal. Sheldon Cooper writes, "You know, I have Leonard Nimoy's <laughs> DNA." <laughs> cool. So that was fact or foe. Oh, and we should say thank you to Leonard Nimoy. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Leonard. Hi, Leonard. So let's finish up with coming soon. In cinemas June 11, we get Hot Pursuit, which, who cares? Yeah. Yep. Strangerland, which I strangely know nothing about now. It's strange. It's a, <laughs> it's a land of strangers. Stranger in a strange land? I do remember when I was reading this research, I do remember thinking, oh, I actually want to see that. Yeah, that... Uh... I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like the same thing. I, I have, I do know of it, and it did sound interesting. Oh yeah, it's a, it's Australia, it's an Australian <laughs> film. It's a teen. A couple discovered that their teenage children have disappeared just before a massive dust storm sweeps through their remote desert town. Hmm. Nicole Kidman and Hugo Weaving. Okay, and Joseph Fiennes, but who cares? The Emperor's new clothes, which just looks like trash. The <laughs> Russell Brand yeah. comedy. I'm doing the air quotes. It's like, oh my god, who knows? Who cares? And, uh, and of course, uh, the one film we are all going to be seeing is Jurassic World. Yeah! I, don't want to, I want to see The Terminator. Well, it doesn't come out then, so you have to see Jurassic World. No, 
Yes, Terminator. How did you not want to see Chris Pratt? Because I have six seasons of Parks and Recreation and Guardians of the Galaxy. Of the Galaxy. Are you saying you don't want to see Jurassic World? No, I don't. That's a disgrace. <laughs> Look, I, I love Jurassic. I loved Jurassic Park. Cool. Sunday's off. <laughs> I love Jurassic Park, but the second and third films were just didn't do it for me at all. So I'm not really interested. Yeah, but in it ignores the second and third films. It's go straight. It's chronologically yeah, straight so after did, Jurassic so, Park. So did Man of Steel. Exactly right. <laughs> Don't mention Man of Steel anymore. <laughs> and it was Superman Returns, thank you. Yeah, Superman Returns. Anyway. I liked that. I liked Superman Returns. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, discussion <laughs> for another day. Since uh, since Luke's happily quit the sh- quit the show, let's let's end on that note. <laughs> Yay, Sunday's off. What's that about? That's it for episode one forty six. Thank you for joining us. My name is David, and I'm with the crew, Richard. Yes, thank you once again for joining us on. Nerd Culture Podcast, where we reviewed I Am Legend and some stuff that didn't involve me. <laughs> Luke! And just needs to be pointed out one more time that if, for those eagle-eyed listeners, well, Dave fired me first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd never fire you, Luke. I, I love see, you too much. I see a legal dispute coming on. <laughs> hey, Kristen. Live long and prosper. Bye. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com if you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net, or search for NCPTV on YouTube, because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes. <laughs>